hey, just, just one more time, you're going to see that. So if you're going to let it get into your blood, it is about time. I was watching Trey play this thing here. It's called a cazone or something. And, you know, I think, now seriously, I, I believe, I feel it. I, I could. I, it was like, it was like the power was coming from Trey to me. I could just feel it. I could just feel it just coming on me. And I really, you know, David, we could use that again next week. I think it could complete the lesson. So have Trey back on that next week maybe. And maybe it'll just like continue. Just suck. I may leave with rhythm yet. I, can you believe that? You know, we started this series Mother's Day. And we're going one more week. So one more week. Father's Day plus one more week. Can you believe that? Time. You, you understand half the year is gone. You know, I still go back to what Jesus told Judas that night. You know, he said, whatever you do, do quickly. And I really want to tell you this. You know, time is going by so quickly. Take time for the things that matter in life. Take time for family. Take time. Just like, again, like you saw in the video with the dad. It was just incredible. Well, as you know, last week we talked about tribal economics. And intentionally, we only did half of the sermon. And, and I, I wanted to come back this week and finish that up. You know, last week was kind of like, hey, if you desire to be rich, be careful. You know, it, it'll, it'll, it'll pierce you through with pain and suffering. We talked a lot about debt. We talked about a lot about contentment. And, and by the way, and, and no one said anything. No one said anything. I just want to share something with you. I never listened to my messages later on. I probably would quit preaching if I did. Um, but as I look back on that message, as I was sitting in some Baptist convention thinking, you know, you think about things. I know there was a lot of I and me last week. I, me, I, me, I, me. And I want you to know something. I really try. I think there's strength and transparency. And, um, and that last week, I just felt like this. When you're talking about bondage and debt and finances, I want you to know for sure that this is something in my life. This is something in my life. that I've experienced some knowledge of victory, some, some sense. So I don't want you to think it's all about Dwayne last week. That was in, intentional because transparency was really needed. And like I said, if I ever do get two eyes and me's, Brent or David will let me know. And, and they need to let me know. It's very important. But again, I just wanted you to be aware of that. So I didn't want to leave that hanging with just that side of it. Those who desire. I think the word was those who crave to be rich. You know? And then, um, then Paul comes along in verse number 17. And he says, now, to those of you who are rich. It's the, it's the exact opposite. Those who are craving and wish they had more and those that see themselves or maybe don't see themselves, but they say, well, wait, God has blessed and I have really more than I need. And this is so powerful. I, and I, looked, I looked back last week. I actually did it this morning. I looked, I looked back last year and I used this scripture. And I want to tell you right now, I'm pretty sure you're going to hear this every year in my teaching schedule because there, to me, to me, you know, people say Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 is the most powerful giving. I don't think so. I think this scripture is the most practical teaching on money that Jesus gave. In fact, I think you've heard this before, but God free, uh, Jesus taught more on money than he did heaven or hell combined. Heaven or hell combined. Because he understood how dangerous success and money can be. So again, we're not going to talk about you ought to give to Dorisville. We're not going to talk about that at all. What we want to talk about our attitude toward the mean green, our, our attitude toward money, and, and how perhaps there's something there we can pass on to our kids. So I know we're not rich. 
Okay, I, you know, you, you can get numbers, and I've got some numbers this morning, and we're going to use them. But I know if I were to ask how many people y'all really, really, now, not, you know, how many of y'all really just feel rich today, a lot of us wouldn't raise our hands. But the truth is, guess what? In a lot of ways, we are very, very rich. I mean, in fact, I'll tell you this, you know, and this is one of those numbers, and it's just true. If you make $34,000 a year, combined income, if your household brings in $34,000 a year, you are in the top 1% in the world of wage earners, okay? $34,000 garners you in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. And here's the crazy part. Half of those people live in America. Of the top 1% wage earners in the world, half of them live in America. But I know, I know, you're saying, well, Dwayne, that's not fair. You're throwing China and the poor people in China and India, the poor people there. Well, let's go to America because this is kind of like a better place. If you make $33,000 a year combined income, so you and your wife, if you've got a wife, a spouse, and y'all are bringing in about $33,000 a year, you are in the top 50% of wage earners, not in the world, in America. So of all the 320 million people in America, you're in the top 50% of wage earners if you make $33,000 a year. Hey, hey, if you make $67,000 a year. So the combined income of your household is $67,000. You garner the top 25% of wage earners in America. In America. And if you if you rake in, you and your wife, combined income, about $113,000, okay, about there, guess what? You're in the top 10% of all the wage earners in America. And those are very practical numbers, and a lot of us, and probably almost all of us, would fall somewhere in that. We're the upper 50, you know, upper 25, or the top 10% of wage earners. So the question is, then, what do we do? How do we handle that? How do we handle that? Because, again, I really think God, you know, if God wanted our money, like I said last week, he would just take it. That's not the issue. He's so concerned that money will get us. You know, that's the way the world works. Money owns people. And he says, not for you, not for you. I want to be different for you. And so I think really God wants us so badly to see it's important that money does not own us. So he starts out in in verse number 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to hit this verse. Then we're going back to Deuteronomy. Again, the scriptures are married together. It is powerful. And then we'll come back and finish 18 and 19 um, at the end of the message. Now, there are about four things in these first, I think it's like 14 words uh, in this translation. In these 14 words, there are several crucial things. Let's just read it. Uh, Let me read it to you. Instruct those who are rich... In the present age, not to be arrogant. Let me read that to you again. About 14 words. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant. There is a lot there. First off, notice he says instruct those, which implies, which means there's something that we can learn. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I found, generally speaking, if you're not wealthy, it's pretty easy. I, I wish I could tell you stories, uh, really bring them home to you, stories of Africa and Haiti and Nicaragua. But for me, for Africa, and those folks over there, you know, they wake up in the morning, that's a good thing. They have millet in the morning, millet in the morning, millet in the evening, millet at supper time. Won't you be my honey and we'll have millet all the time. Yeah, millet's what they eat in Africa. And they're like so content with that. 
I mean, you give them a little bit of stringy goat every once in a while, and woohoo, it's a party. It's a party. That's just how life is with them. That's just how it is. So to be poor doesn't take a lot of instruction, but, but to handle money and make sure money doesn't own you, wealth doesn't own you, we need to learn. And I don't think it stops. I don't think it stops. I think Dave Ramsey's still learning. I think Dave Ramsey's still, still learning. So, so there's a process. When he says instruct those, he's saying, hey, there's something else. There's, there's something else we need to know. There's something else we need to learn. And then he says instruct those who are rich, which implies, ta-da, that in God's family, there are those who are rich. And here in America, again, whether it uses the 50% number or the 25% number or the 10% number, a lot of us are blessed with an abundance of sorts. Of sorts. I know you don't feel rich today, and I get that and I understand that. You know, but I'm just saying, of, of, of a sorts, we are blessed with abundance. So there are going to be rich people, and there's going to be some extremely rich people. I think about the guy who owns Chick-fil-A and how he does it right. I think about the guy who owns Hobby Lobby and the way he does it right. I know personally some folks who really just do it right, do it right. But it's not if you're like way super wealthy or if you're just at 50%. It's important that the money doesn't own us and and that we know how to use it and advance it for the kingdom of God. So so there's something to learn and there will are rich, okay? In the present age, which implies there's another age that this is not all there is. So, so if you are here today and, and you have some sort of a richness or some sort of wealth in this present age, understand that there's something else coming. In fact, Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 18. He said this, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. And that's so true. Um, So often wealth is very fluid. It can disappear very quickly. And there's always somebody ready to take it away from you. He says, rather do this. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. And I'm telling you at the end of the message, when we get that far, there's something else beyond this world. And Jesus says, be sure that you invest in a coming world where the wealth is not destroyed or stolen away. And there is a way to do that. So, so he teaches us then that this present age implies there's something else coming. And by the way, I'm speaking to those of you who know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we're going to touch a little bit on the cross in just a few minutes. But, but I want, that's what I'm talking to. I'm talking to those who have met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then he says and teaches us not to be arrogant. And that is the big deal. I don't know if you know it or not, but if you've traveled abroad, you know Americans are pretty arrogant people. Now, we're not as arrogant as the French. The French are just really an arrogant people. I know personally, I experienced it in France. And that was a long time ago, and I'm not sure it's not worse even now. But we as Americans tend to be an American people. I still remember, we were talking about this the other day, the first time we went to Africa, Brent. And, and so we were in, in Monte Carlo, <laughs> And, and so we walked down the road. It's me, Judy, Nan, and Nelda, I believe. And so we're walking down the road. We walk in this store. And these people, I mean, they didn't know where America was. I guarantee you. But, oh, I, I think it was me. It may not. I don't know. I'm using it back to the crowd. But someone said, do you take dollars? And they looked at us like a cafe at Newgate and went, Dudu? Like, what is a dollar? And I just assumed... That everybody in the world knew what a dollar was. And not only that, they wanted it. 
because it came from America. And they had absolutely no clue. We had this propensity, this, this tendency to be a prideful people. And, and, and God says, now listen, the problem with, with having some measure of wealth in this present age is that we have a tendency to be prideful about it. Here's what James said. This is why it's so dangerous. Listen to what James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, said. But he gives God, he gives greater grace. Amen, thank you for that. Therefore, God says in his word, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I want you to kind of, if you're a note taker, write down the word resist, or maybe you want to circle it in your Bible, because that word means opposes. God opposes the proud. Now, again, our next series um, is called Scar Wars, okay? And we're going to talk about the origin of evil and how that happened, how this, how this snowball got rolling downhill. And the thing that got uh, Lucifer in trouble was his pride. I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. So God has a, he has a problem with all sin. But if there is a list, and there's not because sin is sin, but, but he has a real problem with pride. And so he says, God, James said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Therefore, surrender to God. If you're going to resist something, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, so if we have this tendency to be prideful, the, and often the more we have, the more prideful we are. I mean, come on. You know, you, if you have any kind of a semblance of a nice car, you pull up to the traffic light and this beater shows up next to you and he's a muffler and a couple other thousand things, you know, and you're sitting there in your car. And, and I know, come on, I've, I've done it before. And you look over there, you know, and you kind of go, mm, yeah, I'm better. Or if you live in the right part of town, a different part of town, and your address is this, or if you have a certain label, it's a real thing that we've got to fight not to be proud and think somehow that makes us better than other people. I'll tell you this, the car you drive and the address you have and the labels you wear do not make you better than anyone else. Does not make you better than anyone else. Now, listen to this. I love this. And this is a translation I, I rarely, rarely use. It's 1 Peter 5, 5 from the Good News translation. But listen to how it puts this. In the same way, Peter says, you younger people must submit yourselves to the elders, to your elders, not the elders, your elders. Now, let me pause there. Young folks, young parents, um, if you're there, there's a real tendency now for younger people to graduate from high school, but most likely college, okay, and to instantly expect two things, to make what your parents do and to own everything your parents own. Now, they've been married for 30 years. He's been with the company 25 years, okay? But we have this real tendency to, to make what they want make, all right, and to own what they own. And when your mom and dad, I don't care if you're married and outside mom and dad's trying to teach you some sound biblical financial principles, listen for goodness sake. We've got mistakes that we made and things that we did right in our marriage. Submit to your elders, the ones in your life who could speak wisdom into your mind and into your life about finances. It's huge, it's huge, it's huge. Then Peter says this, and all of you, all of you, I love these words, must put on the apron of humility. I, I, I just imagine in my mind's eye, Peter up in the upper room, and when, when Jesus took off his robe and put on some kind of a serving cloth. And he goes around and begins washing the disciples' feet. The creator of the universe, the king of kings, the savior of the world, 
goes around and washes every person's feet. I can just see Peter recalling that and going, listen, you've got to put on the apron of humility. You've got to serve one another. Again, wealth, if it's not careful, wealth will make us not serve, but think we should be served. Let me say it again. Wealth, if we're not careful, the more wealth we have, particularly, will make us not wanting to serve, but thinking we should be served. Okay? Real danger. Real danger. Real danger. But Peter says, you need to put on that apron of humility to serve one another. For the Scripture says, guess what? God resists the proud and shows favor to the humble. Now, I don't know a lot about God, but I know this. I don't want Him opposing me in anything. I don't want him opposing me in anything. And so it's hugely important that we grasp a hold. If you're a young, young parent here this morning, a young person, you really need to grasp this now. You don't, don't wait till you're 50 or 60. Grasp it now and get a hold of this. That wealth is a blessing from God, but it can get you and it can get you fast. And it can put you in bondage if you're not careful. And so Peter says, and, and um, James says, that we are to rather, you know, not be proud, but rather be humble. Because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So, that leads us right into Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you'll, you'll see how. You'll see how. This Deuteronomy chapter 8 is like a, a wild scripture for me. A wild scripture. It's one of those scriptures probably that you need to write down today and like every two months, read it because of the power for the truth. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The nation of Israel has wandered through the wilderness, all right, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And so, so Moses, of course, wrote Deuteronomy and he's getting them ready to go into the promised land. And these are the words that God gave him to share with the children of Israel that have wandered and lived in tents, you know, hungry, done without water, and their life is fixed. This is probably not a good illustration, I'll tell you right now. They're fixing to win the spiritual lottery. Because they have been wandering around living in tents, not having water sometimes, thirsty, dusty, hot, and they are going into the promised land, a land the Bible describes as flowing with milk and honey. And here's what God says to those people. And I think the reason this is so appropriate, I think it speaks to our lives today very clearly. Here's what God says. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Be careful. Well, let's just stop there. Be careful. You know, in, in about two months, two months, yeah, yeah, two months, you know, faith is going to be 16. And she's going to get a driver's license and she's going to drive a vehicle. Now, I can't tell you, and I bet this is true of Mac, you know, um, when you get that driver's license and they said, Mom, Dad, I'm going to run down to Kroger's store. Now, they don't need anything from Kroger. You both and I know that. It's just an opportunity to drive. And so the last things you say to Mac is, be careful. Well, faith, get used to it because in the coming months, you're going to hear that a lot. Be careful. Dad, I'm going to go sit in the car and listen to the radio. Well, be careful. Okay? Be careful. Well, God says the same thing. He goes, you know, getting ready to go into the promised land, you've got to be careful. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Now listen. Above everything else. So what does that mean? Is it somewhere in the middle of the pile? No, no, no. 
When, when God's word says guard your heart above everything else, it gets to jump to the front of the line. And here's what he says. Guard your heart above all else because out of it come the issues of life. Your heart, okay, determines how you're going to do life. Who owns your heart is going to determine how you do life. The rules you follow in your heart, the priorities you have are going to determine how you do life. So God's word says, above everything else, guard your heart. And here's the deal. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, you know, your heart will follow what? The treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Your heart chases the treasure. The things that you treasure, your heart will follow after. A lot of you guys, men, you got deer heads on your wall. And they're not does. Well, I know a couple of y'all. I know a couple of y'all got does. And I'm not sure it's because you couldn't get a buck or you wanted to add the collection. I'm not sure. All I know is in the fall, when them hormony things kick in and they go into rut, Mr. Buck loses all sense of everything. And he pursues his treasure at all expense. And his treasure doesn't have antlers. And one day, you're out in the woods and Mr. Buck was pursuing his treasure... And all of a sudden, he felt a searing pain right behind his front leg and pierced his lungs and he bled out. You know why? He was chasing his treasure. We've got to be careful. Jesus is saying, listen, listen, where your treasure is, your heart's going to follow. If money owns you, your heart is going to follow your treasure. If your job owns you, it's going to follow, your heart's going to follow that treasure. So it's hugely important that we be careful. Out of the heart comes the issues of life. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. It's just like a natural thing. It's just a natural I mean, our natural propensity is to forget God. The better things are going, the more likely we're going to forget God. The better things are going, the more likely God will not be a focus in our life. And the way he describes this as how we forget God, he says... By failing to keep his command, the ordinance and statutes I am giving you today. He said, this is how it's going to play out. When you get in this really good position, when when you really have a great position in life, the tendency is, is to forget these rules and regulations. The tendency is, listen carefully, to live like God doesn't exist. The tendency is to live as if God doesn't live. You make financial decisions, you make marital decisions, you make parenting decisions, you make career decisions without consulting the wisest God ever. Because it's just a propensity, it's a tendency that we have to do that. So, so Moses, you know, speaking for God, says, don't do this. Be careful that you don't forget. And it'll be demonstrated by how you do life. Now, some of y'all be thinking, well, you know what? I don't consult God about those things. I don't consult God about big financial decisions. I don't consult God about career decisions. Students, you're graduating. You know, have you consulted God about what he wants you to do? I don't do that. Maybe you're forgetting who it is God is and and who you are in relation to God. So he goes a little bit further. Verse 12. When you eat and are full. Now, I'm going to use a term. Write it down now. We're going to talk about it later. The school of manna. The school of manna. So he said, there's coming a time 
and it won't be very far away, that you're going to eat what you want as much as you want. You remember when you were eight years old? Let me tell you how it played out. Dwayne, supper's ready. Okay, Bob. We went in there and we sat down at the table. It's an amazing thing. My mother never said, honey, what would you like for supper? I don't know if they do that now or not. My mom didn't. And so we sat down and whatever she... Now you remember, I ate tripe, tripe cow stomach. And I'm telling you, I didn't go to the table and go, Ew, I don't want to eat cow stomach. You ate it or you went hungry. And if you complained too much, you didn't even get the chance to eat it because they dismissed you from the table. That's if you were lucky. I hated squash. Squash made me want to throw up. And I'm not being funny. Yellow squash. And my parents, my mean parents, made me sit there until I either ate it or it rotted. I spent hours at the table staring at cold yellow squash. That's just the way it was. And then I graduated and moved to join the Air Force. And once I got past those mean old tech sergeants in basic training, I would go to the chow hall and my mama wasn't there. And I could get whatever I wanted to eat. If I wanted to eat two hamburgers, I ate two hamburgers. If I wanted fried chicken, I ate fried chicken. I could have whatever I wanted. Well, that's what's happening. They are coming out of a time when they had manna. That's what they had, manna. But there's coming a time when they will have a larger selection. They're going to be more full and, and they're going to be more satisfied, perhaps, than they've been in a long time. So he says, when you enter this land, okay, and you're eating are full, and you build beautiful houses. Now, these people had lived in tents. They lived in tents, but now they're going to have the opportunity to build homes. In fact, they're going to kill some people and just take their home. Okay? So they're going to have a house, a chance to live in beautiful homes to live in. Your herds and your flocks grow large. In other words, they're going to have more assets than they've ever had before. Their cash flow is going to be bigger than it's ever been before. They're going to have silver and gold. And that's security. You know, supposedly gold is one of the safest investments you can make. They're going to have security in their silver and gold. They're going to be tempted to think they have security in their silver and their gold. And everything else, everything else increases. Life is going to get richer. It's going to be richer than ever before. And here he goes. Be careful. Guard your heart because your heart's going to have a tendency to follow this treasure. It's going to have a tendency to like the food. It's going to have a tendency to like the house. It's going to have a tendency to love the herds and the, and the flocks and the silver and the gold and everything else that you've got that's increasing. It's just naturally what kind of happens. Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud, arrogant. And you forget the Lord your God. The tendency is when things are going well, come on now, agree with me if you agree with me. The tendency is when things are going well to forget God. You know what's amazing? In the bad times, no one forgets God. I mean, you can have the most heathen redneck there is. 
hadn't been to church in a zillion years, and a tragedy comes, they're all on board for God. Yay, God. Isn't it amazing to you? Again, I've used this illustration several times. When America had 9-11, now 15 years ago, amazing how Democrats and Republicans were always all of a sudden God's friend. Yay, God. We like God. God bless America. Republicans and Democrats singing together for two days. You know why? When the planes stopped crashing into buildings, the division started again. So we have this propensity when things go well, and I'm telling you, we are so blessed blessed to live in America, things go well often that we have a tendency to forget God. By the way, can I give you a red flag? Now I know what happened in Orlando with the gay club and the 50, 49 people being shot and 53 being wounded. I know that wasn't a 9-11. But you know what I didn't hear? I didn't hear. I, I did hear we'll, we're praying for the families. I didn't hear that cry out to God. God, help our country. Help the society. That worries me. That was a big enough tragedy where there should have been an outcry to God. I didn't hear it. And that really concerns me. I'm just so afraid we're stepping further and further back away from God. And you wonder what it's going to take. Will it take another 9-11 for God to get our attention and a call back to him? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that we become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. And this is huge. This is huge. This is the main deal. This is the main deal. Actually, this is the main deal. What happened on this Roman cross 2,000 years ago when Jesus died for our sins is the main deal. And again, in America, some of us, some of you sitting here today going, you know what, God just doesn't bless me. Well, let me tell you something, dear friend. When he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on that Roman cross and he shed his blood that you could have forgiveness of sins, on that day when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and he forgave your sins and you had the promise of eternal life in a place called heaven and you don't have to bow down to hell. Listen, if... If he does, listen, listen, if he does nothing else, if he does nothing else, if he does nothing else, he's done enough. He does enough. America, listen, we need to call back to what Christ has done and not what he should do or we wish he would do because we are saved. We are forgiven. Our sins are taken away and that's enough. He, he brought the, listen, nation of Israel, you're going to a really good place, but don't forget the main thing. And I think we forget the main thing. Don't forget the main thing. That he, by the blood, by the Passover, he brought you out of Egypt. America, don't forget. Christians don't forget. Christians don't forget the main thing. And the main thing is that cross. The main thing is that cross. He led you, verse 15, He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with His poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. And He brought water out of a flint rock for you. He said, you remember how those difficult times, and even though they were hard times, He was always there? Don't forget that. When things get better and the enemies are defeated and you're living in beautiful homes and you've amassed wealth and you've got plenty of food to eat, don't forget what he did for you in the hard times. It's so true for us. It's so true for us. He, he fed you in the wilderness with manna. This is the school of manna. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers had not known in order to humble and test you 
so that in the end, he might cause you to prosper. Can I break that down a little bit for you? The whole deal with the manna. I mean, God could drop a Kroger from heaven. Okay? He could have. But here's what he chose to do. He put these little sugar-like wafers out every morning and the people could go out and every morning there was food that they needed and enough of it. Every day. Except for the Sabbath where they picked up two amounts before so they can work on the, on the Sabbath. Over and over again. You've heard me say this probably ten times. Every day when they get out, they would go out there and say, God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. Over and over again. It is God... It is God who takes care of us. It is God who feeds us. And they learned that lesson over and over and over again. And the purpose of the lesson was this. That they, when they got into the promised land and the manna stopped, it was still God who provided what they needed. Now, look back on those hard times in your life. And you go, you know, God was there. God was there. Do you understand when you ate your Wheaties this morning, it was God who provided the Wheaties? Do you understand when you had an urge for lunch in just a few minutes, that it's God who provides that? The school of manna teaches us the faithfulness of God so that He prepare us for a time when it might not be quite as obvious. And often it's not in our lives. I mean, come on. Well, you honestly, you might say a prayer today at lunch, God, thanks for this food. But do you really understand God gave you the food? <laughs> you understand there are places, a lot of places in the world where that doesn't happen? Don't forget, it was God who provided manna every day. And that, and that way provided food every day so they would have to eat. And when they got into the promised land and they, had, they were eating and being filled, it was still God providing the food. It did not change even though the food changed. God provided it. This is, this is the keystone scripture, verse 17. You may say, you'd be wrong, but you may say, my power and my own ability has gained this wealth for me. There's the big temptation. We have, they would have, and we have a tendency to say, I did it. I did it. Now, I got the education, I got the job, I got this, I got that, me, me, I did, I did, I did. And that's the big pullback in America. That's the big stumbling block for America because we honestly think we did it. And when we start thinking we did it, that means God didn't do it. And buddy, that is dangerous ground to live on. And you're saying, Dwayne, you understand, I worked hard for my degree. You did. And guess who enabled you to work hard for that degree? God. And Dwayne, I looked hard for that job. Yeah, you know what? And who gave you that job? Don't lose that. I was, I, I don't even subscribe to Reader's Digest, but when we were down in Becca's house yesterday, and somebody had been reading, I think Jennifer had been reading it and flipped it on the couch, and I picked it up, and here's the quote I saw. Some people wake up and find themselves on third base and think they hit a triple. Let me put it even clearer. Some people were born and wake up and find themselves on third base and they think they hit a triple. Do you understand you could have been born in Africa? 
I know some of you were born into wonderful circumstances. Some of your circumstances were harder. But do you understand you're sitting here this morning and the sound of my voice in America where you can go get a Whopper after church and it's totally God's amazing grace? Nothing you did? Amen. Nothing you did? I mean, this ought to cause us to think of nothing else. I mean, our gratitude and thanks to God should be going through the roof about right now. You may be tempted to say, it's by my hand and by mouth. But, but look, what, look, what, look what God's Word says, because it makes it so clear. This is why I love this. But remember, but remember that the Lord your God gives you, gives you the power to gain wealth. Could it be any clearer? Could be any clearer. Remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm His covenant He swore to your fathers as it is today. I know it's written to the nation of Israel. But every blessing we've got is a love note from God. The car you drive is a love note from God saying, I love you. The meal you ate this morning at breakfast, courtesy of the crew, is a love note from God saying, I love you. The beautiful wife or husband, handsome husband you have, the children you have, the job you have, the career you have, they're all love notes from God saying, I love you. They're all blessings. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. Not forgetting the biggest one, Calvary's cross. Now we're back in 1 Timothy 6. We'll wind this dude up. Be careful, he says in verse 17, the second part now, not to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. The tendency is is depend on our wealth. We can't hope in our wealth because it's so fluid. You know, I heard a story. The same guy wrote the book where I got all those numbers from, from Moody Conference. He said he sat down in 2008. I think the crash happened in nine, didn't it? Anyway, the, a year before the big crash, real estate crash, and a real estate agent who was very much in the know, a national, a national guy said, sell your house. He goes, sell my house? Why? He said, trust me, it's fallen in. Sell your house. He said... It would be nice to tell you the story that I went home and put my house on the market and sold it. And he didn't. And a year later, the value of his house dropped, 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 dropped $160,000. One decision cost him $160,000. Don't put your hope in wealth. I'm just now back in my retirement fund where I was in 08, I just came back. What is it now? Eight years later? Don't put your trust in wealth, but rather trust in God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Don't make the mistake of putting your trust in Benjamins or Grants or Franklins. Put your trust in God. Your wealth can be gone tomorrow. In fact, well, never mind. I won't even go there. We'll leave that one alone. The bottom line is, God will be there tomorrow. Your dollars may not. Trust in God. Instruct them, he says. And and moms and dads, young parents, this is your deal. It's all our deal, but it's your deal. I had this in mind when 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 I was preparing this sermon for you guys. Instruct those, again, because there's something we learn 
because, because we need guidance in this area, because of the priorities that we need to set, because time demands on our life, because instruct them to do what is good. In other words, to make time in our crazy, busy schedules to do good. In fact, he says to be rich in good works. Again, going back to the servant mentality. Put on the, the apron of servanthood and do good works. I know a family who used to go out every Christmas day and they would go around to nursing homes, taking their time, the whole family, and singing to nursing home people. I thought that was really, really incredible. I know of a young dad who would make sure his oldest daughter, every opportunity there was for her to go to a place where she could serve others. He did it. Trying to make sure she understood you're not a privileged character. You need to serve others. I know of a young man who was walking with a young woman down a street here in Harrisburg. And he saw a man pushing a bicycle in his shoes. He was barefoot. He felt compelled to go back and took the shoes off his feet and give them to that man. Serve others. Serve others. Parents, if you're not pouring that into your children, I ask you as your pastor to make today the day it starts. Teach your children well to serve others. And the more wealth you have, the more important it is because the greater propensity is is that, that the more wealth we have, we think we are to be served and not to serve. And that is so counter to the Scriptures and to Jesus Christ. He owned everything and served others. I want you to be intentional. Fathers, moms, I'm asking you as your pastor to be intentional starting today. Find ways for your kids to serve. Find ways for your children to serve others. Teaching them that that is the way of Christ. And that is the way of the cross. So so he says, instruct them to do what is good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and willing to share. Again, the propensity is the more we own, the more we want to hold on to it. Sorry, guys, but the lower income, the lower middle class people, percentage-wise, give more than the wealthiest Americans. It's really hard. The more we have, because that percentage or however else you give gets bigger, it's very, very difficult to maintain that level of giving. It's just the way that it is. But let me tell you something. It wasn't too many years ago. I would stand right here. And I would tell you that there are 1.6 billion people in the world who had never heard the name of Jesus. And they are spinning out of control to a Christless hell, eternally separated from Him. That number is now 2.8 billion and approaching 3 billion people. They haven't said no to Jesus. They've never heard of Him. And the truth is... In America, in a land like America, with, with, with the people that God has placed within His body, we have done incredible things giving to missions. I want to ask you to make this a year priority again. Say, God, what can I give so my church can give it away? Don't want to put it in the bank. Don't want to pay the preacher. Don't want to pay the staff. Don't want to build bigger and better. I'm talking about money we can give away for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus. Christ. Be generous. Be willing to share. And here's the part that 
I kind of go like this. Storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. All I know is this. There's an economy in heaven that I can't understand and you probably can't understand that's there. And we can store up a reserve in heaven and it won't be dollars and it won't be Benjamins and it won't be Lincolns, but there's an economy in heaven. Okay, there's an economy in heaven that we can send it forward to by being good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. I just told you earlier that gold is one of the best, most safe investments, they say. I don't have any, but anyway, you know, they say it's the safest investment there is. They show you how the economies are different. People will kill for gold here. In, in the New Jerusalem, they walk on it. The streets are paved with what? Gold. I don't know what that economy looks like, but it's vastly different. And what, what I'm speaking to you today about today, I know it's vastly different than what any of the world would ever say. I still go back to Bill Gates. Several, several years ago, he, he gave away a billion dollars. And I went, woohoo! That, that's cool, except for when you're worth $42 billion and you can't spend it in three lifetimes. Hey, Bill, why don't you give away 2025? That still leave you more. But that's not the way we think in the world. I'm not saying, here's what's cool. God never said, thou shalt take a vow of property. Wear white robes and chant in Wyoming. Amen. In fact, I glossed over it. Didn't mean to. God gave us all things to richly enjoy. Isn't that cool? He didn't say, you got to give it all away. No, no, no. He just saying, make a priority of the kingdom. Of the kingdom. All right, we're done. We got to quit. Let me give you... Let me give you four things. Write these down, please. These are, I, I entitled this Value Evaluators. Values Evaluator. Okay? Values Evaluator. This is how you can judge your values. All right? I'll try to get maybe Elaine or if Kayla's here, we'll put these in the newsletter. Number one, which concerns me more? Which concerns me more? How much money I have or how much of me God has? Ooh. Which concerns me more, how much money I have or how much of me God has? Good question, isn't it? Number two. Do I pray more about God supplying material items than I do about developing my character? Do I pray more about God supplying material items than I do about developing my character? Good question. Three, do I spend more time and money caring for my house and lawn than I do helping others? Do I spend more time and money caring for my house and lawn than I do helping others? Three, I'm four, I'm sorry. Am I confident about the future because my bank account is healthy or because my spirit is secure in Christ? Am I confident about the future because my bank account is healthy or because my spirit is secure in Christ? Four great questions. Now, the deal is this. I told you a couple weeks ago. Actually, this whole series has been centered around the Word of God. Have you noticed that? And the Word of God is not just laws. It's a roadmap to the abundant life that Christ wants us to have. 
And the Bible speaks more loudly about money and finances and stewardship than any other topic. I'm just going to tell you right now. The more biblical we are in our stewardship, I think, the more peace we'll have in our life. I mean, if, if you want to know about geometry, probably the Bible doesn't speak a whole lot about that. But in this, it's huge, guys. And these crazy days we're living in, we need that more than ever. More than ever. Well, the bottom line is the four questions. Now, I guess there's another bottom line. It's this Roman cross. If you popped in today and you go, doggone it, I come to church for the first time in two years and he talks about money. Remember, I didn't ask for yours. I didn't ask for yours. I get my word. But this may be why God brought you today. It may be that he wanted you to hear that his son Jesus died on a Roman cross like this, that you could be forgiven of your sins. And it's the greatest thing ever when we personally receive that grace in our lives. So if you're here today and, and you've never considered Christ and what he did for you, my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. He'll be glad to tell you all about Jesus and what it means to become a follower, a Christ follower, how it impacts your life, what God expects of that. He'll be glad to share all that with you. And for the rest of us who are no Christ, um, pray you'll, you'll consider this today. This thing should be online in a few weeks. Not that again, that you need to hear me again. But boy, you sure need to hear this truth again. You really do. So I want to pray. Dave, I was, I was thinking, we were, I, you know, I was, you're seeing the last song. I was thinking about that presence song. And we really needed God's presence today. And I think he's here. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who changes us. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us grow in these areas we've talked about. It's not me. You know that. I've got no power. But the Holy Spirit can. So I want to pray for us. And uh, Dave will come up and lead us. Brent, you'll be standing out front here in just a moment. But I want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And then we'll be done. Hey, God, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing these truths today. Thank you that we were born in this great country. I mean, we got our problems. You know that and we know that. At least this part that we do. So I want to pray, Father, that, uh, that one, you'll draw people to yourself. Holy Spirit, I want to pray you'll draw people to Jesus. The greatest gift is forgiveness of our sins by your amazing grace. And Holy Spirit, for the rest of us, Father, not because, God, you need our money, but you don't want our money to get us. So, Father, thank you for letting us be born in a great country. That's nothing more than your sovereignty. Thank you for the station of life where you've put us. That's nothing more than your sovereignty. It's your sovereignty. Thank you for your incredible word, how true and clear it speaks to these issues. That's just a product of your love and grace. So, Holy Spirit, the old enemy wants to steal seed away today. I pray against that. I pray the Holy Spirit that you'll seal these words in our hearts. May it be a life changer and a game changer for us today. And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.